Hitton. Pray for Marcia. She's down today. And that the Lord will give her strength. I'm looking over here in left field today. And uh, Levi, I need you to stand up. You're looking at the Preble County Fair Demolition Derby champion right there. Now, to make it fair, you can go ahead and be seated. To make it fair, I believe Luke, his brother, and Landon also won their heats. Is that what they call it? However, they're not in church. And Gracie said, Levi might be the only one who is not sore uh, that's here. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Since Levi's in church, be careful where you park. Okay? Amen. Hey, I want to share something with you we want to do as a church, and I want to take care of it right now, okay? No doubt many of you have been watching the news, and while we were away, we started seeing what was happening in eastern Kentucky. Uh, You know, a lot of our church family is from the south, and what we'd like to do right now is to write a check for $2,500 to the Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief Unit. I I recently, like this morning, looked at a place where Kentucky Baptist Convention is designating for gifts to come, and they said this, uh, anything is helpful, but folks, some of these people have lost everything. Also, uh, they are asking if you want to give in some tangible way, because as a Southern Baptist Church, we're actually helping them through cooperative program giving every Sunday, helping support the disaster relief. But if you also would like to help, they said, is we would love if, if you could just send Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, gift cards. So we've done this several times in the midst of disaster around the country, and you've always come through. So for the next two weeks, we'll give our church family an opportunity if you'd like to bring in a gift card or a number of them. Some of you can write a big check and, br- and bring some big gift cards. But let's do that for the next two weeks that way, but we'll send a check to them from the church to help support the disaster relief unit of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. So if you're okay with that, say amen. Okay, I knew you would be, and we'll make sure that gets going, okay? I want you to take your Bible today and turn to Psalm chapter 133. Psalm 133. If you need a Bible, there's one right in front of you, a red one. So take that and open it. As we look at Really, a very, very small psalm, three verses. Some of you are thinking, okay, brother, good. That means you cannot preach that long on three verses. Well, I believe this little psalm has a lot to say to us today because it deals with something that many of us have dealt with in our life. There are folks in this service today that have been in a church situation that has been painful maybe even hurtful to the point that it's turned ungodly. There are probably some folks in this service that have been through this or know someone who has said something like this. If that is what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. I'm done. I quit. I'll just worship my, on my own, and they can do whatever they want to do. Folks, I want to tell you this morning that in the midst of thinking like that, that is fertile ground for the devil. It gives him a great opportunity to drive people away from the very thing they need, and that is to be with brothers and sisters in Christ in worshiping the Lord. 
Now, last Sunday morning, we tuned in and watched the service and Cody preach, and, and I want to tell you, there's, there's nothing like being together that even video cannot repeat or replace or replace. There's something about being together. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Your presence here today encourages me. Your presence here today is encouraging somebody close to you. And he says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay? So if you have your outline this morning, I want you to write this down somewhere. You ready? Write it down. You matter. You matter. We were at the beach last week with a million of our friends I've never met. You matter. You make a difference. And according to the Hebrew writer, we need each other for the glory of God. Uh, Renee, our kids, my parents, I have one sister. We're relatives by blood. But this morning, you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're related by someone else's blood. And that is the precious blood of Jesus. Next Sunday morning in both worship services, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper, communion. So I hope when you come, you'll be expecting to be reminded of what this bread represents and what this uh, juice represents. Even today as we baptize, what does this water represent? It represents something that only Jesus Christ can do, and that is forgive us of our sin and save us. W.A. Criswell, the late preacher from First Baptist Dallas, uh, he referred to this a relationship as the scarlet thread of redemption, referring from Genesis to Revelation that, that as brothers and sisters in Christ were tied together by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to Psalm 133. This psalm finds itself in a collection of psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. They bear the title, Song of Ascents, or song of degrees, songs of ascending. And there's several thoughts about who the target is and what that means. For instance, some believe that this represents the steps leading up to the temple. And these would be the songs that the Levitical priest would sing as they make their way to give sacrifices. Sounds pretty good, okay? Some believe they are songs sung by the Jewish people who are coming back from exile from the Babylonians. They're coming back to Israel, and they're singing these songs en route in hope of their return. For instance, flip back to Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And, they, and then they said among the, the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. You know, on our church sign right now, we have this saying, what if you woke up this morning with only what you thank God for yesterday? Let me ask that again. What if you woke up this morning with only what you thank God for yesterday? 
some of us would not be alive because we didn't thank God for life. Some of us would not be married because we didn't thank the Lord for a spouse. We wouldn't have children. We didn't thank God for our children. We wouldn't have a home because we didn't thank God for a place, a roof over our head. We wouldn't have a vehicle that starts because we didn't thank God for it. We wouldn't have a job with an income because we didn't thank the Lord for it. Well, in Psalm 126, it's pretty clear that they're singing a song of praise. Uh, one preacher preached a message, how can you sing the songs of Zion when you're in captivity? Well, I'm telling you, the children of Israel found a way because God would always make himself known. Look at verse four in 126. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Go back to 133. Three verses. Let's see what the Lord has to say. And I'm going to just simply admonish us as a church. Don't take it for granted. You ready? Verse one. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Okay, let's read it again. Let's just read it out loud. You ready? Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, when you look at the thoughts of, of this uh, little psalm, the most accepted view is that this is a song that's sung by the Jewish worshipers, and they're making their way up to Jerusalem. They're ascending, and they're ascending to Jerusalem to celebrate the great feast. They were required to attend three feasts during the year, the feast of the Passover in the spring. It was the celebration of the Exodus as the death angel passed over those whose, whose door was marked by the blood. And I want to tell you, the Passover is a great picture of the cross of Christ. Amen? It's a picture that you and I, listen, even though we may take our last breath on earth physically, we will live forever when there is blood applied to our life and it's the blood of Jesus, the cross of Calvary. There's also the Feast of Pentecost in the early summer. Sometimes we associate uh, the feast with being... Uh, 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit comes, but this also began early in the Jewish faith. It was a picture of being set apart, recognizing everything's a gift from God. Everything's a gift from God. Seven weeks after Passover, the people would celebrate the harvest, and then they would give the tithe of the harvest to the Lord. Now, uh, several weeks ago, months now, I guess, I shared with you all that I planted a bunch of watermelon. If anybody remembers that, slip your hand up, okay? And I told you that when people ask me what I do now, I was gonna tell them I'm a watermelon farmer before a pastor, I'm a bivocational pastor, watermelon farmer. Well, 
I got back from our trip and thought I would look at the harvest. All I can tell you is, if you're waiting on Brother Greg to bring the melon to the party, it ain't gonna happen. I picked five of the smallest watermelon you've ever seen in your life. I mean, they're like individual pizzas, okay? One for each person. The harvest wasn't quite as good as I thought it was. But according to Scripture, what God wants us to do with anything in our life, he wants us to thank him for it, amen? So I want you to picture driving by our house, seeing me out there in the, in the garden holding that melon up and saying, Lord, I thank you for this measly-looking Watermelon. Harvest. Pentecost. And then the Feast of the Tabernacles. The third feast that was an annual pilgrimage where the Jewish people would gather together not only to remember God's provision in the wilderness, but also look ahead to the coming of the Messiah. You know, in the Feast of the Passover, the Seder meal, they would have the meal, and at the end of the meal, the father would go to the door, and he would open the door. And he was, in essence, looking for the Messiah. And I read one report where the father then, sadly, turns away and walks back to his family, hoping that Passover next year, the Messiah would come. Folks, I've got good news for you. Jesus has already come. Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life so that we could understand the love of God. He becomes one of us. He takes the form of a man, Jesus, God in the flesh, so that we could understand the love of God and then lives a perfect life and then willingly dies on the cross to pay for my sin. And you might be here today and maybe you're living in the the pit of despair and you feel like nobody cares about your life and nobody knows about your life and maybe you like to slide in and out of church without anybody even getting your attention or shaking your hand and you feel like nobody cares, let me tell you something. The king of glory stepped out of heaven and went to a cross to die for you. And all he asks is that you give him your life. He's not asking you to die on a cross He's asking you to recognize that you were hopeless before the cross and that if you were dying your sin, you die lost. But if you place your faith in him, you'll live forever in a real place called heaven. That's what we got to celebrate the other day in Aline's service, heaven. I wish all of you could have been at the graveside. Uh, This is a singing family, Aline's family. We sang uh, Victory in Jesus, Standing on the promise, promises. And then I think Jeannie said, do you know what a day that will be? And then didn't we do an old red cross? It don't get much better than that, does it? Why? Because now her faith has become sight. Uh, we believe in a real place called heaven. And this Jesus died, was buried and rose again so that you and I would have a home when we leave this earth. Now, let me just break this news to everybody in here. If the Lord Jesus does not come, you will die. If the Lord Jesus doesn't come in the next 50 years, I'll say I'll make it to 110. I won't be here. 
So here's the biggest question in this room today. Listen to me. Every single person, listen to me. You're going somewhere when you die. And God gives you life, this, this life, he gives you this opportunity to decide where that's going to be. You'll say, well, Brother Greg, if God loves me so much, why does he let me, why does he let this stuff happen to me? Folks, listen, we live in a sin-sick world. Bad things are going to happen, but it doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change who he is. You know, we've got such a problem in America and in Christianity of griping about so many things. Why don't we get on our knees and pray for a nation? Why don't we get on our knees and pray for elected officials? Criticism isn't going to change anything. Only Jesus can. You're saying, Brother Greg, what are you saying? I'm saying if God wants to send revival, he can do it. But it will begin with the church house, not the state house, not Columbus, not D.C. It will begin in your heart. My prayer is when we leave today, everybody can say, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. You know, uh, I was reading a tweet from a fellow, and it didn't take me long to realize he must not be a Christian. Someone said something about heaven, and they said, what do you think? And somebody replied, well, it, it, I guess it's okay if you believe in this fairy tale. Well, I've got news for you this morning. We're not talking about a novel. We're not talking about fiction. We're talking about the inspired word of God who we believe, listen, this to be truth. Truth. Well, the world's spinning, folks, out of control. You can't fix it, but you can make it better. But you can make it better. And, and Brother Greg, how do we do that? I believe by applying the principles in Psalm 133. So verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Man, I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord for the opportunity to pastor a church where I've lived with you and seen what unity can do. Now, sometimes people come here and they want to apply what's happened in your former church to what's happening, happening here. I'm sorry if there's been pain in your previous church. But we've all experienced it in one form or another. And the good news is, is when you recognize what God wants to do, he can do more with somebody who's unified than he certainly can with power going in different directions. One writer said, you can tie two cat's tails together, throw them over a clothesline, and they might be tied together, but there is no unity. Unity, okay? So David uses words to describe it. He says it's good and pleasant. He affirms the beauty of unity. He says it's good, and when it's good, it's pleasing to God. Let me use an example. Do we believe that God created sex, yes or no? Everything God created is good. So sex in the guidelines of God's perimeter is good. If you're here today and you're a little confused on what that looks like, God's design is for that to be in the union of marriage. Let's go a little further. How does he define marriage? between a man and a woman. I don't say that to be hateful. I don't say that to be judgmental. I simply tell you what the Word of God says. And you and I are not in any position to change it. We don't have any authority to say, let's make it different. Let's rewrite the rules. Folks, I'm telling you, 
God's way is always the best way. You see, when sex is involved in marriage, there's no guilt. There's no guilt. There's no shame. You're not trying to hide anything. You recognize the gift of God. So when you think of good, it is something that pleases God. When you think of pleasant, that's something that brings delight to those who express their trust in God. So he says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And he paints two pictures that are easy to see with our imaginations. The first is verse two. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. And it's like the dew of Aramon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commended and commanded the blessing life forevermore. So he gives us two pictures, okay? Pictures of oil running down the beard of the high priest Aaron as performed in the Old Testament by Moses, setting him apart. And then he compares it to dew running from the mountains. And we get a good picture of unity. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Pursuit of God, writes these words. Has it ever occurred to you, when you think about unity, that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Now, I don't know if anybody here has ever had a piano tuned or if you've ever seen one tuned. When they tune this piano here, there's a guy that comes in and he sits down and he pecks and he types and he uses wrenches and all kinds of things and he adjusts that piano to get on key. Now, there's a neat thing about this electric piano. A lot of times we sing songs in your hymnal that are too high to lead. Today we sing songs that Debbie and Marcia, what they'll end up doing is they will drop keys on this so that whoever is on stage can lead them for you. So if you're ever singing and you're thinking, boy, that's low, that's because we can't sing high. Okay? But when you tune a piano, there is a standard tune. Everything gets set to that. That's why instruments, when they get on stage, they have to tune together. If you play guitars, your guitars have to be in the same tune so that it can sound okay. So here's what he says. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could ever possibly be by trying to be unity conscious and doing it themselves. A.W. Tozer is saying, tune your heart to the Lord. And when you tune your heart to the Lord, when we all choose to do that, listen, then there's going to be wonderful unity and how pleasant and good it is for those who dwell in it. I want to give you a few things, and, and we'll close this morning. Here's the first. Unity is like the oil that is used to consecrate the high priest. It's like the oil used. That's the picture the psalmist uses. Aaron, the high priest, 
work was a unifying factor for Israel. Once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the people. He would place blood at the altar, and the Day of Atonement would be accomplished, and the people's sins would be forgiven. The high priest was a picture of unity. Also, the high priest, uh, there was a picture of a set-apart or consecrated oil that would be poured over him. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 8, and he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and set him apart, consecrated him. It was precious oil. And the Bible refers to this picture of precious oil running down over the high priest, not just running down over his head, but that flowing through his beard and onto his garments. It's a picture of what God can do through unity in the life of a believer in the life of a local church. They would take some of the finest spices available, myrrh, cinnamon, cane, acacia, all of that would be mixed with oil, olive oil. And the Bible says in Exodus 30, and you shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mix, the work of a perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. And this would be the oil that would be used to anoint the high priest. The spices were mixed together, and they would make this wonderful fragrance. What are you saying, Brother Greg? The unity of the spices is what makes the beautiful fragrance. Unity in the body of Christ is a beautiful fragrance to Christ. Unity in the body of Christ is a fragrance to the community in which God's placed us. Unity in the body of Christ, folks, is always fragrant. It always blesses the Lord. It always gives us a good picture. Folks can smell it. I believe when people visit the church, they can figure out pretty quickly if, if, if they're welcome. I think you can figure out pretty quickly if we love each other. Are we, are we glad we're here? Are we glad we're here? You know, on the uh, Song of Ascents, as they were singing, as they climbed toward Jerusalem, it's also a picture of celebration that they were excited about what was about to take place. They were excited. It's the most exciting time of the year. I believe when we come to the Lord's house that it should be, listen to me, the best time of the week. Not, oh, I've got to go back to church. We've got to go to church. We've, we've got to go. We've got to go. How about if we change that terminology? Hey, we get to go. We get to go. Hey, there are a lot of folks in third world countries that can't even tell you where they're at. Missionaries in countries can't even tell you where they're going because they're living in a place where there's hostility toward Christianity. We get to worship the Lord. Amen? We get to worship the Lord in an air-conditioned building. We get to worship the Lord in padded pews. Somehow we survived the years of unpadded pews. I can remember. I can remember when I was the baby in church and my mom would take me out and, and I, can, I can remember those days. But folks, we have the privilege to do what many can't. We have the privilege to be the fragrance of Christ. Uh, not long ago, uh, 
Renee and I have differing opinions on candle scents. And you can discern, determine scents however you want to, the way I said that, okay? And uh, for me, it's like pie. A candle is like pie. If it's not a fruit, then does it really have a good smell? Renee likes uh, st- things that smell like coffee. She, she likes, uh, I mean, I woke up one, one, one night before she even came to bed, and I said, what is that? It's killing me. It's killing me. Tell the church I died from whatever scent this is. Folks, listen to me. When there's unity in the church, there's an unmistakable fragrance that is pleasing to the Lord. You know, they say if you really want to see what a church is like, go to a business meeting. We're not going to have that nonsense here. God has been so good to us. Has he not, church? He's, he's been so good to us. So the first thing, the first picture is the oil that's poured over the head of the high priest, and it's a sweet fragrance that runs through his beard, drips on his clothes, a combination of those four spices mixed with olive oil. It was the combination that made it special, not one by itself. That's the first thing. The second picture of unity is that of life-giving dew. Life-giving dew. Now, Mount Hermon was noted for its precipitation. 60 inches a season. Mount Hermon was the highest snow-capped ridge, Lebanon-Syrian border west of Damascus, over 9,000 feet high. I, some of you might be mountain climbers. I've been on a mountain around 3,000 feet and thought I was something. So this is huge, okay? It was known for its dew, and what would happen is the runoff from the, the snow-capped mountains would feed the villages and supply the crops. Two-thirds of the year, the mountain would be covered with snow. It would be the main source of supply, listen, for the Jordan River. You know, they say the Holy Land is the land of milk and honey. If you've ever been there and see the produce, you can't disagree with that. It's unbelievable. So what ran off of Mount Hermon would drop lower into the mountains of Zion and then feed the Jordan. So the psalmist declares that unity among the brethren is like precious oil for a sacred purpose and it's like life-giving dew. What does that mean? That when we come together and worship the Lord, we're gonna sing about the Lord. We're gonna praise him for who he is. We're not gonna act as if he's not here. We're not gonna act as if somehow we have to beg him to be here. God allows us to worship him. The Bible says if you're really gonna worship him, you have to worship in spirit and in truth. And folks, when I think about life-giving due, I see a picture of Christ here. The life that you have, the life that you can have in Christ comes from the Holy Spirit from the inside out and he will fill your heart and he will give you what you're searching for. He covers you, he sustains you. And, And like due, unity is refreshing. It's refreshing. Uh, Discord uh, will wear you out. 
but unity invigorates. It's productive. You see, the water from the mountain would ensure productivity. It would ensure that it would flow and, and water the crops. The crops would have what they need. And I'm telling you this morning that a divided church that is not united is a distraction. It's a distraction. And unity allows us to focus on the task at hand. Now, a lot of times when we sing and those that lead on stage, they put the words to what you're looking at on the screen behind you. They're just a little smaller. And a lot of times, uh, you may see someone leading the music with a hymnal here while the words are on the screen. And you say, well, why are you doing that? Well, I'll use Tim as an example. Tim's doing it because he can't see the screen. Okay? Uh, Cody and I know, and Marcia knows, and Deb, whoever's led recognize that, Acacia, there are times when you need something to focus on. You need to laser in. And the good news is that when you think about life-giving do, when you think about oil that's poured over the high priest, it helps us recognize that God wants to bless unity, and he'll do it. It's a sweet smell and a sweet taste. It's a life-giving source of what the world needs to see. We're so divided, are we not? We are so divided on everything. But the good news is Jesus Christ wants to bring us together. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Number three, when it comes to this church, there should be great care as we're stewards of the unity God's given us. A steward is a manager. A steward is someone who helps you. And I praise God daily for it. And I want you to pray daily and thank God daily for it. Recognize that he gives it. Recognize it's not like that everywhere. And you might be here today and you're coming from the battlefield and you are scarred and you are wounded and you're carrying shrapnel from some battle that you fought in some church somewhere. Listen to me, folks. God is the giver of life. He's the giver of breath and he can help us go forward. He helps go forward. So if he gives it, then what, what happens? How am I supposed to respond? What's my part in unity? Let me give you just a few things and we'll wrap it up. First of all, we've got to recognize we have to handle the gospel correctly. If we're going to be unified, we have to handle the gospel correctly. And we believe that it's the word of God. It's not time to come and preach uh, about what I think. It's not a time to make sure that I preach uh, what you want to hear and make sure that I don't make anybody mad. Uh, Billy Graham said, if you want to make sure you, you preach and you don't have to worry about anything, just preach the Bible. We get in trouble when we start spouting off about our opinion. But the word of God is true. Henry Blackaby says, if I'm not lining up to the word of God, it's not the word of God that needs to change. It's me. Adjust your life. Any married couples here, uh, one of you are hot and the other one's cold? Folks, we have, we have 10 or 13 thermostats in this church we're never gonna make all of you happy at one time. And we have one out right now that's getting ready to be replaced. We're never gonna make it, everybody together. But think about your own home. We don't have to talk about church. Renee's hot, I'm cold. Or when I'm hot, she's cold. And when we walk into the hallway, there's the thermostat. And I'm not below, I'm not one inch below of just going ahead and making a move as I go. 
and then hear her say, are you hot? See, it takes a while for her to recognize something's changed. And I believe when a church acclimates itself to culture, you may not see the evidence immediately, but you'll begin to see it. When it comes to our church, we've got to be stewards of the truth. The Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, this should be familiar to some folks in here. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what that is? That's the Iwana verse. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Handle the gospel correctly. But we also have to handle it carefully. Why? Because in the balance is death and life. Life and death. We believe everybody's going somewhere. We look at the newspaper and we take for granted, we think everybody's obituary that we've looked at, that every one of those people are in heaven. I want to remind you today that you don't go to heaven by default. Our sin separates us from God. That's why Jesus died. If you're here today and you recognize you're a sinner, in a couple minutes we're going to stand and sing, you need to give your life to Christ. You say, Brother Greg, I'll hold on, I'll hold on, I'll hold out. Here's what you're saying with that statement. You're rolling the dice thinking that you've got another day or another chance or another opportunity. And God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to spend another day not knowing him as Lord and Savior. Handle it carefully. Handle it carefully. Preach the truth. Share the truth. But you know, if we're going to be united, we have to handle relationships compassionately. Compassionately. Not just our church relationships, our family relationships. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother Greg, I have a family member I haven't talked to in years. They made me mad. And I'm not moving an inch until they apologize. I'm, I'm sorry that that's happened. But I can assure you nothing's going to change until you change. Don't live in bondage to that stuff. That's what the devil wants. Make you miserable. Make your life, make, make you a mean Christian. Listen, folks, I, I, I know unfair things happen in life, but don't let that be victorious. Don't let the devil have the win. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you soften your heart. And, and, I, and I'm not, I've not been good at that. You know, in Aline's service, we gave an opportunity to recommit our lives to Christ. And, man, as we led, uh, led that service, I, I stood here and I thought, God, I, I surrender. I, I recommit my life to you. I know there's not been things you've been happy with. But give me, cleanse me. Give me a new start. We've got to handle our relationships with compassion. Cody preached last week. I heard him talk about where we might be afraid we might make somebody mad by sharing truth. And I want to suggest to you today that you really don't love anybody if you don't share the truth with them. And then lastly, praising. Praising personally and corporately. Because I believe when you praise the Lord personally and privately, it will work its way out. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 95? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Don't you give me this, I don't like that song stuff. 
that says more about you than it does the song. If we're praising God for who he is, amen, let's lift our voice. Let's lift our voice. Psalm 95, 6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. He is worthy. He's worthy. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. Our maker. I love what John Wesley says. I want the whole Christ for my Savior. I want the whole body, the whole Bible as my book. I want the whole church for my fellowship, and I I want the whole world for my mission field. And you and I have the very same thing, the very same thing. How many of you know who Charles Schultz is? Okay, Peanuts, Snoopy, Charlie Brown. There's a story about uh, Linus and Lucy. I believe they were brother and sister. And they're watching TV, and Lucy came in and just ripped the remote right out of Linus's hands. And he said, what do you think gives you the right to just come in here and take over? And Lucy looked at Linus and said, two, three, four, five, These five fingers don't mean much, Linus, but when they're clenched together, they can do some big damage. Linus said, well, exactly what program would you like to watch? And then he turned away, and he opened his hand, and he he went, why can't you guys get together? Hey, folks, let's keep staying together for the cause of Christ because there's somebody in your family, somebody on your street, somebody you work beside of next tomorrow. There's someone that you know needs Jesus Christ, and he wants you to be the fragrance of Christ to him. Amen? Let's all stand and bow our heads. Father, I thank you for loving us And I thank you for your word.